Hey, it's Kimberly, host of the Start Me Up podcast. If you like your politics with some loose talk and salty language, you're going to love my show. I interview the coolest people like Mary Trump, Kathy Griffin, and DNC chair Jamie Harrison. The Start Me Up podcast has an easygoing, casual style and a strong emphasis on left-leaning politics. We also have frank discussions about sex and more than a few spirited rants. Just visit patreon.com slash startmeup or wherever you get your podcasts and start listening today. Hey, Muller Junkies. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Beachbody On Demand, an easy-to-use streaming service that gives you instant access to a wide variety of super effective workouts you can do from the comfort of your living room 24-7. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Mueller, She Wrote. I am your anonymous host, A.G., I work for Trump's executive branch, so I have to use a pseudonym to keep from violating the Hatch Act. And no, I am not the author of the New York Times (laughs) op-ed. With me, as always, is Jaleesa Johnson. Hi. And Jordan Coburn. Hello. So this is episode 45, technically, but I think we might skip it and call it 46. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's it's not 13. Exactly. Not a legitimate episode. (laughs) I kept 13. I'm all for 13. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, like, you know how some hotels don't have a 13th floor? Oh, yeah. And Mitch Hedberg told a joke. He's like, if you jump out of the window on the 14th floor, you'll die earlier. Mm -hmm. We're now politically (laughs) superstitious about 45. I'm with you. Yeah, so no 45. But uh, we do have an awesome show for you this week. Jaleesa is going to give us an update on Mifsud. And Jordan is going to cover the leaks from the forthcoming book called Fear by Bob Woodward. I'm going to cover the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings, and I'll tell you how they're tied into the Mueller investigation later. And we also have very special appearances. First, from the author of the new book, Proof of Collusion, Seth Abramson is going to join us. And we have the writer and director of the new film out on Hulu and iTunes called Active Measures, all about the Trump-Russia collusion. His name is Jack Bryan. And he just appeared on Real Time uh, with Bill Maher on Friday. So I'm really excited to have him. I also, before we got started, wanted to address an email I got about our announcement last week that we'll be removing the $1 and $2 levels from our Patreon starting on October 1st. She was very concerned about those who might not have a lot of discretionary income lying around, and we were very concerned about undervaluing ourselves. So we're going to meet in the middle and make a $3 level so we can meet those needs. Uh, and people who, you know, just don't have a ton of money lying around can still become patrons. Uh, you can sign up right now still at the $1 and $2 levels uh, all month until October 1st. So if you're not a patron yet, check it out. You'll get access to our bonus episodes, our bonus interviews, our newsletter, my show notes, membership to the MSW Book Club, and all kinds of swag. So go ahead to MullerSheWrote.com for more information. And we have a lot of news to get to this week. So let's just kick it off with just the facts. <laughs> 
All right. So first of all, uh, Kyle Griffin tweeted on Sunday that Chris Christie's administration reportedly funneled $500 million from New Jersey workers' pension cash to American media and David Pecker. So you guys remember when last week when, when we were talking about, you know, why would Pecker and Howard be willing to tank their paper for Trump? Well, maybe they were okay because they had that huge injection of $500 million in cash from the point man on the Trump transition team, Chris Christie. Uh, It's a real problem, though, because if the paper does go under, that $500 million that's supposed to go to workers' pensions is gone. Uh, Mainstream media hasn't picked up this story yet, but some New Jersey newspapers have been reporting it back to August 30th. So put some beans on it. We'll watch it. It's so tricky. So it's just waiting there like a safety net for them? Uh, It might already be spent. I don't know. but But $500 million went from New Jersey pension funds to um pecker yeah yeah it's the opposite of robin hood <laughs> yeah <laughs> robbing the poor to feed the rich yeah <laughs> and to cover up abortions totally <clears throat> uh, we had a quiet labor day monday which was nice so we relaxed but on tuesday the new york times reported that Mueller will accept written answers on collusion from trump in lieu of an interview according to two sources familiar with the matter Mueller will accept written answers about whether his campaign conspired with Russia to interfere in the 2016 election. The letter also said that Mueller's team understands that issues of executive privilege could complicate the pursuit of an interview about obstruction, and they didn't ask for written answers on those matters either. But it's important to note that Mueller has not given up on an interview for obstruction, but many Trump allies have concluded now that if an interview does happen, the scope will be way more limited than Trump's legal team initially thought. Remember when we did those 50 questions the New York Times released? did an emergency sode. Yeah. Um, and they were, uh, turned out they were released by Trump's team, probably Seculo. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people think now that because he's willing to take written answers and because he's walking, you know, treading lightly on obstruction, that it won't be a 50 question interview. It'll be much smaller. But that's their speculation, and they're happy to welcome to believe that if they want. Interesting. Also, Tuesday morning, the Kavanaugh hearings began. Um, Kavanaugh is Trump's nominee for the next Supreme Court justice, and I'm going to talk about that later in the show. But he boy. brought children. Yeah, he brought his children. <laughs> it reminded me of the scene in Liar Liar where, you know, she brings her children to the divorce case uh, for sympathy. And, and he goes, it's working. I feel sorry for them already. Yeah. Uh, then the Washington Post did a piece on Trump because he suggested protesting should be illegal. In an Oval Office interview with the Daily Caller, that's a super conservative group of a-holes, uh, just hours after Kavanaugh was greeted with pretty loud protests uh, on the Senate uh, in the Senate hearing, Trump said, quote, I don't know why they don't take care of a situation like that. I think it's embarrassing for the country to allow protesters. Um, <laughs> you don't even know what side the protesters are on. Oh, my God. Okay, so there's like 90 things wrong with this statement. First of all, protesting is one of our constitutional rights. It's one of our guarantees to peacefully protest. So F you on that. Second, to say it's embarrassing for the country to allow protesters, that coming from the most embarrassing thing that's happened to our country since the 70s. Um, Then he says, we don't know what side the protesters are on. They're protesters. That puts them on one very specific side. Um, I, I know he doesn't read, but the huge signs that say vote no, and be a hero, and the shouting of words like vote no, and be a hero should have been a clue. Mm-hmm. Um, there was not one person protesting the Dems to vote yes on Kavanaugh. There, there, it's a protest. It means you're anti-something. That's 
put you on a side. Both sides. I don't know. Maybe he's just confused about sides. Putin hates protests. So Trump's just being a good little Putin boy. Yeah. Remember, he blamed Hillary for all the protests against him in 2011. Mm -hmm. Uh, We learned that from the Russian roulette book. And that's why Putin hates Hillary Clinton. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Sadly enough, though, I do think that protests are getting a little bit neutralized, at least in terms of how the public sees them, because they just see it and it's like, here we go. You know, either people are going to actually look and try to listen to what they're saying or they're going to see it and just be like, oh, this gets us nowhere. You know, obviously, I don't think they'd think that protesting should be illegal, but I do think that it gets muddied, at least. And it's like people are just sick of the conflict, I guess. But it's that's lazy. You need to actually listen. Yeah, we can't afford to to be sick of it. We've been sick of it forever. Like, I think that's the whole point of Obama's speech the other day. Right. He was just like, I get it. Politics is frustrating and we're jaded. But this is the time where it's it's now or never. You know, this is different. And people need to get over their their. You know, what, what do you call it? Apathy? Fatigue. Fatigue. Apathy. Exactly. Yeah. Fatigue. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if this is a, a legitimate concern, but when I was listening to NPR coverage of it, protests would happen. They'd break out. They'd be disruptive. And all the reporters on NPR would say, protesters interrupt. You know, they wouldn't say protester says mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And it's like I, I question why I understand you can't report on everything protesters are saying. But right. the fact that they just glossed over it completely and mm-hmm. did neutralize it, I think, is problematic. They did. And so did the senators. And so did some of the Dem senators. They would just be like, OK, we have to wait till they leave. And it's like the and one guy, I think he was like, who are these people? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, those are voters. You yeah. know, those are citizens that are concerned about the fact that <clears throat> a proven liar uh, and anti row guy is going to be appointed to the court. I'm going to go. I, I'm going to go into more detail when we talk about Kavanaugh later. But oh yeah, protests should be illegal and they're embarrassing. Oh my god, eat shit. <laughs> um, then the news dropped about the Bob Woodward book, Fear, and Jordan's going to cover that for us later in the show. Really good, juicy pieces leaking out before <laughs> before we get to. Oh, god, that's gross. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean for it to be. It was more like fruit. I uh, thought about meat, so I got kind of hungry, but that's just me. <laughs> I'm vegetarian. Jeez. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Vegetables. Uh, Wednesday, we learned another Roger Stonehenge guy named Jerome Corsi was subpoenaed by the Mueller team. Corsi is a Republican conspiracy theorist with Stone connections. Apparently, he was in earshot when Stone talked about his ties to WikiLeaks, and he was supposed to testify before the grand jury Friday, uh, but he didn't show up. And he's also said that he could beat up Mueller. I don't know. He's just a weird dude. <laughs> and it kind of looks like Brody. They kind of look like they could be brothers. Uh, but Randy Credico uh, did show up and testified on Friday. So Mueller keeps closing in on Stone. I just hope he doesn't need Andrew Miller's testimony before he because he could be tied up in his appeal for a while. If you remember, he's the guy who held himself in contempt for not responding to a Mueller subpoena so that he could appeal the constitutionality of the investigation to the D.C. appellate court. Uh, another reason Trump shouldn't be allowed to see to justice, by the way, who refuses to recuse. Yeah. Um, let's see. The op-ed. The op-ed came out on Wednesday. <laughs> uh, I didn't write it. Um, Trump, a Trump administration official wrote an opinion editorial for the New York. That's what op-ed means. Opinion editorial for the New York Times called, quote, I am part of the resistance inside the Trump administration, unquote. Uh, this person is he. At least I think so, because the New York Times tweeted he and then deleted the tweet and walked it back. Uh, They wouldn't have said he if it were a woman, (laughs) but uh, everyone weighed in on who it could have been. And of course, Trump went nuts. He was already off his rocker about the Woodward book leak. But after the op-ed, he started tweeting that the New York Times needed to hand over the author to the government immediately. (laughs) That's frightening as fuck. Uh, All of his staffers, including his wife, uh, were forced to give him written statements saying that it wasn't them. And he tweeted at Jeff, uh, which is Jeff Sessions, our attorney general. Hey, Jeff. (laughs) Is he at Jeff? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> wow, what a good Twitter handle, at Jeff. 
he wants to spend our tax dollars investigating, not not Jeff, but Trump wanted Jeff to spend our tax money to investigate who wrote the memo. And then he started considering giving everyone lie detector tests because Rand Paul told him it would be a good idea. Uh, but one thing I feel got lost in the bedlam was the absolutely terrifying message in the op-ed. It said they were considering the 25th Amendment early on. That's the amendment that the president is unfit to serve, but decided to put their heads down and keep America safe from the president. We'll just keep going so we can get our tax cuts and we can get our shit. And that's absolute bullshit. And they can go ahead and take credit for all the shit that's happened and will happen because they didn't remove Trump like they were supposed to per the Constitution. I mean, if you think about all that's happened, family separations, right? Uh, One, possibly two conservative Supreme Court nominations, a flubbed foreign policy, the whole North Korea debacle. Um, there's too many things to even think about. But I, I don't like this op-ed person or anyone else who has been aiding and abetting Trump in the White House. I feel I feel like that's why we saw statements against Woodward's book from Kelly and Mattis, so that they could stay and keep the daycare open. Um, I, I, they didn't want to, you know, get fired because they're the only ones that are, you know, saving America from this insane president. You know, that we have ways to remove him. You don't have to, you know, lie and stay there and try to thwart his efforts. Um, I wonder if they use the phrase, have we Trump proofed the White House today? Because I, that's what I would do. But Maddow brought up a very good point. Uh, if you were high up in the Trump White House uh, and you thought he was unfit and insane or whatever, who would you tell? Um, the old lions in the Senate are dead. Ted Kennedy, John McCain. The House is ridiculous because Nunes and Jim Jordan are still there. There's nobody to tell. So you tell the New York Times, you know, that's kind of what he he was he was he was saying. Yeah, I also think that is a testament to maybe how fearful they are that the things that are already in place in our Constitution to remedy this situation wouldn't work because he's that crazy. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It could be a test to see what people think of the 25th Amendment. Uh, Also, um, could the author just be trying to put himself on the right side of history? Like he knows Trump is going to go down and that he's completely he's a completely insane criminal. So the guy wrote this to be like, see, I didn't support him later on. So he could maybe keep his, you know, a political future, kind of like people who believe in God just in case, you know, those people. Yeah. Um, But lots of folks thought it was Pence because the person used the word lodestar. Before you die, there is something you should know about us, Lone Star. What? I am your father's brother's nephew's cousin's former roommate. So here to chat with us today about how this op-ed was most definitely not written by Pence is a professor and CNN contributor, the author of the new book, Proof of Collusion. It's Seth Abramson. Seth, welcome to Mueller, she wrote. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about this op-ed. I know that you tweeted out that it's not Pence, and, and I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that. Sure. Well, you know, I've been studying the Trump-Russia case for a very long time. Uh, as people probably know, it's been about 18 months or so. And in that time, I've read hundreds and hundreds of articles on the investigation. And the surprising thing, and, and people ask me about this a lot, is, you know, where is Pence in all this? And what I tell them is that the surprising thing is that Pence rarely shows up where significant Trump-Russia events are occurring. And that's true even during the transition. There are places you would expect him to be as the head of the transition that he is not present at. Uh, That's clearly by design. He wants to be as clean as possible in terms of any suspicion of criminal liability when Donald Trump is impeached, should that happen, which I expect that it will. 
And so right now he's the luckiest politician in America. His political career was over. Now he's in a position to potentially be president if Trump is impeached. And I think that there is no way that he would risk any of that by by writing a letter like this and running afoul of Donald Trump. He has absolutely nothing to gain by it. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, by the the great grace of God Almighty, he is to ascend to the throne of the United States. Uh, And so, yeah, he's definitely kept out of it uh, surprisingly well. And so when people ask, like, what's going on with Pence? What's going on with Pence? I mean, I... I think that he knew about Flynn and uh, that Flynn didn't get fired for lying to Pence or misleading Pence. But that's kind of the narrative that they put together. I think that that's true. But but what's interesting is that on December 27th and December 28th, when Mike Flynn is having of, of 2016, when Mike Flynn is having these conversations with Sergey Kislyak, he's in touch with a team of people who are at Mar-a-Lago. And his contact person is Katie McFarland, his deputy. And Katie McFarland is getting advice from senior transition officials, according to uh, the indictments that we have seen, saying to Katie McFarland, here's what you need to tell Mike Flynn about negotiating sanctions and the UN resolution on Israeli settlements with Sergei Kisilyak. And during that period of time, Mike Pence is in Indiana. Um, and so and also I will note Jared Kushner is far away at that point also. So I think that at the time that everything's going down in December 2016, he's not present. I do agree with you that thereafter he was informed about what happened and therefore his statements on I think it was CBS's Face the Nation in January were probably not accurate. And he knew at the time they weren't accurate. But but that's still him doing the minimal amount to stay in Trump's good graces. Yeah, sort of by design kept insulated from all of this. I think that's true. One of the things that I I do want to say, though, and and this is not something all of your listeners listeners will necessarily agree with, but uh, I'm a little bit, I don't want to say ambivalent, but I have a lot of concerns about the anonymous op-ed that was published in the New York Times. There's a part of me that wants to say that if you work in the administration and you think the president is a danger to the country, the Constitution mandates that you, if you are serving the country, if you're fulfilling your civic duty, that you push for the 25th Amendment to be instituted and for uh, that letter to be signed by the cabinet temporarily or perhaps even permanently removing the president from power. If you're not going to do that, I tend to think that you should quit your job and then write an op-ed and and talk to the media, tell everyone uh, you can everything that you know. But this half measure where you still get the judges you want and you still get to work for a Trump administration and don't have to reveal your identity and just claim that you're doing things to protect the country I'm not sure that that's courage. That feels a little bit to me like cowardice. Yeah, no, it actually makes me uh, pretty angry, too, because if you think about all the things that have happened as a result of this administration, I think that some of the culpability then belongs with these folks who were whispering about the 25th Amendment early on and didn't take any action. So the family separations and the I mean, there's, you know, there's way too many to name um, here on our, you know, unless we want a six hour long podcast. Um, But I, I put some of the blame on on this person who authored the op-ed in their inside resistance, you know, guys who are keeping their heads down and, you know, trying to just thwart Trump at every every opportunity. Well, and there were a lot of us, uh, probably including uh, you all, who are Trump critics who very early on in the administration raised the question of the 25th, uh, 25th Amendment. I mean, of course, now it's being raised by Elizabeth Warren. So you have a senator saying this is something that should be investigated. But I think early on, there were enough warning signs that the president was unstable, that you had a lot of Trump critics raising the issue, 
And it was very easy to dismiss those critics as cranks or simply hyperpartisan or even conspiracy theorists in some way or even in some sense disloyal to the Constitution because no one in power was saying the same thing, because no one in the administration was saying the same thing. And now we find out that they were secretly having exactly the same conversations that some of the Trump critics were having in public. And I think that's frustrating, too. Yeah, the same thing happened with the the whole uh, Russia investigation itself, where early on, um, I know that uh, the DNC and people in the Hillary campaign were like, you guys, listen, it, Russia is, you know, working with Trump to elect Trump, and but they couldn't come out and say it. And even the New York Times wouldn't put it in that headline they released in October of 2016, because it could have sounded insane. It could have sounded tinfoil hat like and nobody was willing to kind of step out on that ledge. Well, and, you know, that's one of the most infuriating moments of the entire Trump-Russia investigation is that late October 2016 New York Times article, which told the American people 10 days before an election that the FBI had no credible evidence linking Trump to Russia or suggesting that there was anything untoward happening. And I certainly don't blame Christopher Steele for seeing that uh, that story in the New York Times as he did and withdrawing from his partnership with the FBI at that point because as a former MI6 agent, he said to himself, something's not right here, that the intelligence community would lie to the American people like this. And so when Glenn Simpson, the Fusion GPS founder, testified that that was the point at which Christopher Steele said, I need to withdraw from this partnership until I figure out what's going on at the FBI, I can really sympathize with that because that's one of the big scandals of this whole story that hasn't been explored enough is why the FBI misled the American people deliberately. They didn't They didn't say no comment. They misled the American people 10 days before an election about the information they had. Right. And and yeah, the, I, I, think, I think that October New York Times article, like you said, it's one of the pivotal uh, points in this whole investigation. They came out and apologized in some other, I can't remember the story that, that had come out in the last, it was probably like four or five months ago. And they said, yeah, we did that, our bad. But, you know, too too late. Well, and it's kind of like uh, during the run-up to the Iraq War. You had Judith Miller writing articles telling people that Saddam had weapons of mass destruction, and then later on you get a sort of slight, maybe um, not entirely fully motivated or sincere mea culpa. But by that point, the damage has been has been done. And I think that uh, after what happened in the aughts, you would have thought that the New York Times would be even more careful. And frankly, given what Comey and McCabe knew in October about what was happening in the New York field office, you would have thought that they would be very careful about what statements were made to the media because they should have been concerned that the Trumplandia adherents up in New York were going to be leaking false information to the press. And so I don't know why um, Maine Justice and frankly the the DC headquarters um, of the FBI weren't more on top of what was going on in terms of leaks to the press throughout October 2016. Yeah, apparently that's now being investigated. I haven't heard any updates on it, but the New York field office is is also a big part of this. And and I personally think that it was pretty much blackmail. Um, And Comey had to come out with that letter to Congress saying that they were going to reopen the investigation because if he didn't do it, the New York field office was going to do it and it would have been 10 times worse. Well, and, you know, I think that's right. And I think that people always ask, well, why hasn't Comey come out and forcefully said I was being blackmailed by my own agents. And I think even as you hear me say that, the question answers itself. Jim Comey has always put protecting the FBI first. If he comes out and he 
uh, spills the beans on what's happening internally at the FBI in October 2016, he's essentially saying that the FBI had a significant effect, not just him, but the whole organization on the 2016 election. So I think what's unfortunate is his attempts to protect the reputation of the FBI have kept us from getting the full story of what the New York field office was doing in terms of being pro-Trump and frankly, in terms of a, a small group of individuals who were acting in a conspiratorial way to support Trump in October 2016. Hopefully we'll get that story when the inspector general issues his report on it. He has said that he left that out of the first report that he issued because he has more to say on it. I just don't know when that follow-up report is coming. Yeah, no, me neither. And uh, yeah, we've been waiting for it, uh, too. And and you're right. Comey is very big on the whole reservoir of trust uh, within the FBI. And we spent decades building it. And if, you know, if he turns around and says something negative or or somehow gives a black eye to the FBI, then that whole reservoir is just gone. Um, he's very dramatic about it. Um, so also, I wanted to switch gears here a little bit. I've been hounded on Twitter since you announced that you were going to be on uh, Mueller, she wrote. I have been asked by multiple people about a tweet that you penned last March saying that Nastia Ribka, that's the sex coach uh, who did the video on Deripaska's boat when he was downloading his Manafort brief to the prime minister of Russia. Uh, and you, you tweeted that she happened to be in Athens or near Athens when Papadopoulos was there at the same time. So could you tell us a little bit about that and if you have any updates on Ribka? Sure. So what Putin critics like Alexei Navalny uh, and, and others outside of Russia have done is attempted to, if they can, track the movements of uh, Russian oligarch Oleg Deripaska, who is a very close Putin ally, one of the two or three oligarch oligarchs he trusts the most, uh, to track his movements by seeing where the woman he was having a, an affair with was at various points. Um, Nastya Ripka, obviously not her real name, um, is very active on social media or was very active on social media, of course, before her arrest in Thailand. And she posted a lot of pictures uh, of herself, but also some pictures of herself with Oleg Deripaska. And so people have tried to track her movements, not because we want to know where she was at any point in time, that's not particularly important, but where Oleg Deripaska was. As far as George Papadopoulos and how that intersects with, or his story intersects with Nostaripka, uh, I think that there's a feeling among a lot of people that with the sentencing memo from Papadopoulos, with the indictment from Papadopoulos uh, that, that came in uh, October of 2017, we have still not gotten the full story of what Papadopoulos was up to, particularly what he was up to in May of 2016, when he made two trips to Greece in early May, one in late May, the second trip when Vladimir Putin was also in Athens. And during those trips, he met with Kremlin allies within the Greek government. Uh, we haven't really gotten the full story on that, though Papadopoulos did just reveal that he told the Greek foreign minister during one of his two May 2016 trips about what Joseph Mifsud had told him regarding the Clinton emails, meaning Papadopoulos told the Greek government that the Russians had stolen Clinton emails, and he told them that in May 2016. So there's a lot more to that story, clearly, that we don't know. So it appears that Nostaribka may have been uh, around Athens, not necessarily in the city, but on an island very near Athens around the same time that Papadopoulos was in Greece in May 2016. And that simply, we, we don't have an answer for exactly what that means. It just tells us that there's something we are not being told about Papadopoulos' role on the campaign and what he did when he was sent by the campaign 
to Greece twice in May 2016. And I think that that sort of spills over into this question of whether Papadopoulos told anyone on the campaign about the Clinton emails. Once again, people are sensing that we are not getting the full story. Is it because Papadopoulos is still lying? Is it because Mueller has told him he can't publicly release certain information? We don't know, and I don't want to speculate. But that Nostaripka sighting in Greece in May 2016 says there's more to this story than what we know right now. Oh, I see. Because potentially, if, if Ribka was there, Deripaska could be in tow. That's correct. And, and we already know. Some, in fact, we actually have a pretty long list of the people who Papadopoulos met with and who he traveled with in early May and late May 2016. That was widely reported on by the Greek press. So we got a pretty good sense of who he was meeting with. And in one case, or actually in, in two cases, because in both early May and late May, he met with Panos Kamenos, who is the Greek defense minister, not the foreign minister, but the defense minister. And Panos Kamenos runs a think tank that is in a memorandum of understanding with the Russian Institute for Strategic Studies, which is the outfit that authored the Russian election interference campaign and gave it to Putin and then the Kremlin executed it. So Panos Komenos is very closely tied to the Kremlin. Papadopoulos was meeting with him. If he was also having some sort of a meeting with Oleg Deripaska, and I'm not saying that we know that, but that certainly is a possibility if Nostaripka is on a yacht uh, in the, in the Aegean Sea around that time, let, let's be clear, she doesn't own a boat. Uh, she was telling people that she was being taken around the world by Oleg Deripaska. So, so there's, it's not just that she travels a lot, it's that she actually was being taken to places. So if Oleg Deripaska was there, then Papadopoulos was engaged in much higher level negotiations with the Russians than we realize. And that could be the basis for his cooperation deal. And I will say further, could be the sort of information Mueller would not want him to reveal even in a sentencing memo. So there's still a chance that we're only seeing a sliver of the George Papadopoulos story. Okay. And so do you think that might be why in a, in a recent interview, Papadopoulos says that he now doesn't remember even telling Alexander Downer, that's the Australian diplomat in a London bar, about having dirt on Hillary, like maybe because he's been told not to say it? Well, let's let's put it this way. That's the most important fact, the most valuable piece of evidence that he could possibly hold based on what we know right now. So either he is guarding that piece of evidence because for some benighted reason he is still attempting to protect people within the Trump administration, specifically people on the National Security Advisory Committee that Trump uh, gathered together in March 2016 and that Papadopoulos was on. Or he is guarding that incredibly valuable piece of intelligence because he has been instructed to do so by the special counsel. Again, I don't claim to know which it is, but I will say this. Papadopoulos had a demonstrated history of immediately reporting to his superiors any information he received from the Russians. Uh, Joseph Mifsud, Ivan Timofeev, the Olga uh, Bologradova, who was pretending to be Putin's niece, he immediately passed on information to the campaign. And this was the most valuable piece of intelligence he got. So the idea that he wouldn't pass this on or doesn't remember that he passed it on, let alone that he told the Greek foreign minister this, but wouldn't have told the campaign is absolute nonsense. I say that as a former criminal defense attorney, as a former criminal investigator, you couldn't find a criminal defense attorney or criminal investigator who would believe Papadopoulos on that. No one would. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So before I let you go, Seth, um, and before I want you to talk uh, about, you know, how people can find your book, Proof of Collusion, I wanted to ask you, uh, I know that 
you know that uh, you, you've said it's <clears throat> not Pence who authored this op-ed. Who, who, who do you think it is based on all of your uh, reading? I'll tell you honestly that I have actually given it very little thought uh, because I'm not sure that it matters. And let, let me tell you why I say that. Um, if we are to believe the letter, and of course, it's very difficult to judge its credibility when you don't know who wrote it and you certainly don't know why they wrote it. Um, if we're to believe the letter, there is an entire uh, resistance, and that's now a self-described resistance, quote unquote, within the White House that involves many people. And I think that that's what the White House forgets as it's hunting for the author. The author said that he or she was part of a giant resistance. So it doesn't matter who wrote it because that person is presumably in cahoots with, uh, could it be 10, 12, dozens of other people throughout the government who are part of this effort. So for that reason, I kind of tuned out on the speculation of who wrote the letter, because to me, the broader point has already been made. There is a right wing resistance within this White House that is apparently seeking to undermine this president. And they are doing so because they think he's a danger to the world. And yet they will not do anything to advance the 25th Amendment. Excellent. I agree. We just like to guess, but I do agree with with all of that. Um, so tell uh, you, you have a new book, Proof of Collusion. Tell my listeners where they can get it. So the, the book comes out November 13th. It can be pre-ordered right now, uh, basically everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes. Uh, you know, you go on, you go to the Simon & Schuster website, because uh, Simon & Schuster is publishing it, you will find it. And I want people to know that this is, number one, it's a massive book of proof of collusion. We're, we're talking over 500 pages, and we're talking over 2,000 endnotes, and a team of fact checkers, not one or two, a team of fact checkers uh, and attorneys looking at this book. So this will be as uh, sourced, as cited, and as fact checked a Trump-Russia book as there has been. This is not me writing my opinions or my speculations or my uh, desires for the Trump-Russia investigation. It is the record of the public investigation of Trump-Russia collusion. Everything the public knows, which is far more than I think people realize, is contained in this book. So while you are waiting for Robert Mueller to release his report, which could be a very long time from now, while you are waiting for Congress to do anything, which you'll be waiting forever on because five of the six investigations have shuttered and the Senate Intel investigation is stalled, this book will summarize for you everything that is part of the public investigation. And as I said, it's going to shock people because we know so much more than I think many people realize we do. Even people who watch this case on a daily basis probably have not come across more than 90 percent of what's in the book. And I know that that's hard to believe. But read the book and you'll see that it's true. All right. Everybody catch that. And you can follow Seth at Seth Abramson on Twitter. Um, is, is that correct? At Seth Abramson? Yes, that's right. And uh, he's he's got incredible threads and, and theories and, and he he spells it all out for you. Like you said, all those thousands of footnotes uh, and annotations in the book. He he does that. Uh, he gives you all the information that you're going to need to make up your mind for yourself. And so, Seth, I appreciate you coming on today and I hope you have a good weekend. You too. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Then Thursday, uh, a CNBC report um, came out saying Trump said he's willing to meet with Mueller, but doesn't want to be set up in a perjury trap, basically admitting he's incapable of not lying. Uh, Giuliani then told the Associated Press a little bit later in the week, Trump will not answer any questions in writing or in person on obstruction. It's kind of, I dare you to subpoena us. Right. Basically. So we'll see what happens with that. 
Also Thursday during a Trump rally in Montana, we met Plaid Shirt Guy. (laughs) So Plaid Shirt Guy was an audience member standing behind Trump on TV during his speech. And Plaid Shirt Guy kept making, oh my God, this guy is an idiot faces, like right behind Trump and directly into the camera. Here's a clip from the speech uh, where Trump tries to say the word anonymous. The latest act of resistance is the op-ed published in the failing New York Times by an anonymous, really an anonymous, gutless coward. You just look. So about halfway through Trump's speech, a uh, plaid shirt guy was quickly ushered out and replaced by a rally staff, the staffer uh, that would make more supportive and loving faces mm-hmm. to our dear <laughs> Making white nationalist symbols, though, totally fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or O faces behind Trump. Either, either one. <laughs> Yeah, Zena Gersh, was that her name uh, yeah. in the Kavanaugh hearing? She was totally making those. And I put it out there and people were like, come on, she's trolling you. She's it's Stop it. You're falling for dumb stuff. And then she did it on the second day. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm not crazy. Uh, but yes, I'll show she might be trolling me. Troll, troll mm-hmm. level 9 million. And I maybe I fell for it. But that's, that's a huge troll. It is, yeah. That's a oh. huge white power troll. And she's half Mexican. <laughs> God. Dude, some of the craziest <laughs> Trump supporters I know are Latino men. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I had an illegal immigrant tell me about uh, Hillary's emails, like how that was why they wouldn't vote for her. Wow. I know. I'm not in a place to publicly go into psychoanalyzing that, you know, Mm -mm. being my white self. But yeah, yeah. It's a very interesting, diverse group of, you know, could be a machismo thing. Trump definitely has that in spades. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. But I thought it was odd because everyone's like, she's half Mexican. Her grandma's a quarter Jewish, something. She's not making a white power symbol. And I'm like, she also worked on the family separation immigration policy with Stephen Miller, who's been mm-hmm. seen making that uh, little gesture quite a bit as mm-hmm. well. Oh, no, he's just buttoning his coat. Yeah. You know what? I'm sorry, guys. Uh, and uh, if you're mad at me that I even spent any time on this, it's important to me. I hate Nazis. Yeah. Right. Also, her name's Zena Bash. Zena? Zena? Zena Bash. Zena yeah. Bash. What mm-hmm. did I say? Gersh? Gersh, I think, yeah. Gersh like Xenophobe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zena, warrior princess. She loves her oh, first name. I loved her. She's a white power princess. She's a lesbian, right? Oh, I thought Zena was a lesbian. She was. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't white power, but this girl is. Got it, got it. At least I don't think warrior princess was a white power. <laughs> Problems. Probably not. I question the undertones of everything in our culture <laughs> now. So anyway, hats off to plaid shirt guy, whoever you are. Um, if, if if you're listening, if you're listening, I hope you find the time to call into this podcast. We'd love to talk to you. <laughs> Then Friday, Obama gave his first speech in a while, like during this whole presidency, and he used the opportunity to completely unload on Trump. A lot of us were just so happy to see him again and get a chance to hear someone that can form sentences and cohesive thoughts. Yeah, that was refreshing for sure. It was definitely incredible. My favorite part when he was like, how hard is that? How hard is it to say that you hate Nazis like, or you don't support Nazis? I was like, right, mm-hmm. exactly. Both sides, that whole thing. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. Yeah, it's very hard when you are one. Exactly. Yeah. That's true. A story dropped Friday after Trump tweeted at Sessions to investigate the op-ed uh, that Sessions is preparing to be fired. Last week, we talked about Trump wanting to fire Sessions after the midterms, which, of course, would impact the Mueller investigation if he were able to get another one confirmed instead of just elevating Rosenstein. Uh, just one of a million reasons we have to retake the House in November. Um, I wish it was sooner. I, 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 I really do, because this Kavanaugh hearing is killing me. Oh, yeah. Then we found out a Russian hacker that targeted financial institutions like Fidelity Investments, Dow Jones, and J.P. Morgan and Chase. He had higher aspirations than the guy who hacked LinkedIn. 
Um, he, he was hacking that in a 2012 to 2015. He was arrested in Georgia, the country, not our state, and he was extradited to the United States. His name is Tyron, or Tyron, and he faces up to 97 years in prison. Forget this. Conspiracy to commit computer hacking, wire fraud, computer hacking conspiracy to commit securities fraud, conspiracy to violate the unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act, conspiracy to commit wire fraud and bank fraud, and aggravated identity, identity theft. Um, this story is not as of yet connected to the election interference or the Mueller investigation. But I wanted to bring it up because the list of charges will be similar to what a lot of Trump associates will face for their conspiracy. So if when people ask you what is collusion, that is collusion. If we learn that the arrest was directly associated with proffer from someone in the Mueller investigation, like maybe Papadopoulos, uh, he will count uh, as a rando in the Fantasy Indictment League. But for now, it's not connected. Um, it's not connected and will be uh, seeing if there are any connections to Mueller, if they're reported, we'll let you know. Also Friday, the Daily Beast reported that two DOJ officials have been passively resisting Trump since he took office. Additionally, a staffer from the White House was quoted in Axios saying there are dozens of resistors in the White House. So it seems like that op-ed might have like opened Pandora's box. People are coming forward now. It wasn't me. <laughs> then... Um, we learned that the National Park Service intentionally edited photos of Trump's inauguration to make the crowd look bigger. Oh, my God. Somebody at the Parks Department came out and and admitted we doctored those photos. That's crazy. <laughs> it's been almost a year. Are we are we too, like, accustomed to this to not care about that? Because yeah. that would have been huge a year ago. Two, like two That's some ago. North Korea shit. Yeah. Did, did you say two years ago? January 20th, Oh, my God. Has it been two no, years? 20, 16, it has yeah, yeah, 2016. Oh yeah, almost two years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. God, fucking longest two years of my life. Oh, I know. It seems like a million. I think this has all been a simulation. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm betting I'm on kidding. that now. I'm totally just so kidding. Does, um, <laughs> so does uh, Elon Musk, who <laughs> oh, whose stock just dropped like 6% because he smoked weed on Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah, he talks about time travel and solving the world's <laughs> issues, takes one hit of a blunt, burn him. Wouldn't it be funny if Elon Musk got high and just started talking reasonable? Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Like, like he's all, oh, time travel. We're in a computer simulation. The odds are ninety nine percent. And then he takes a hit of weed, and he's like, I like cheese. Aww. Yeah. He gets less. Like the more he smokes, it's weed, like a South Park episode. Yeah. Stonery <laughs> questions he asks. Yeah. You know? That'd be funny. Yeah. Because he's pretty wackadoo. Oh yeah. Uh, already. So yeah. I yeah. Think maybe weed would have the opposite effect on him. But I don't know. I didn't listen to the pod. I'll have to check it out. You should. It's interesting. Um, the Daily Beast also reported that in a court document that was unsealed, Shira Bashard um, alleged that Broidy demanded she get an abortion. This is the lady who was paid $1.6 million to get an abortion. She also said he refused to wear a condom and did not tell her he had genital herpes. Oh, my. She also alleged that Keith Davidson, that's the guy who I think was in cahoots with Cohen, her former attorney, told her that Broidy would sue her for child support if she kept the baby. Uh, and the court document said that Broidy would push her to drink excessively so she'd be more compliant towards his physical abuse. Oh, my God. And that he would hurt her during sex. But what this means um, is that it wasn't Trump. Guys, remember when we were, like, thinking it was Trump and he was taking the fall? Yeah, this is probably worse, actually. It's not Trump. Yeah. So take beans off of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but damn, Broidy is an asshole. Yeah. yeah, he's the worst. 
almost put like a trigger warning before that is fucking horrible isn't it yeah it, i yeah i mean it could he not be my boyfriend anymore yeah <laughs> you're allowed thank you yeah, if it gets if that bad we're out <laughs> sexual assault can they can i'm they officially be, leaving yeah. him okay good job <laughs> thank yeah. you we're here to support it you. was stockholm the whole it's time, not really. funny anymore it's not funny at all anymore actually i'm uh, triggered it's just it's absolutely horrible that he would do that and then we've got manafort making his wife do orgies and like, who the fuck are these people? Oh, yeah. The worst. I mean, do we I mean, expect anything different, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so gross. Uh, then uh, Papadopoulos finally got sentenced, and they only gave him 14 days. Uh, I'm sure we all remember he was charged with lying to the FBI about his contact with Russians during the election, and he is the first Trump advisor to be sentenced, but he's not the first guy to go to jail in the Mueller probe. That distinct honor goes to Vanderswan, <laughs> son of Herman Kahn, Alpha Bank executive. He already served his sentence, and then they deported his ass. Immediately. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, no, no tall, better-looking white lawyers than me allowed <laughs> in this country. Um, he was cute. Yeah, he was. Oh, yeah. Well, there'd be like an award show for the Mueller probe, like cutest criminal or like first to get arrested. <laughs> yeah, yeah, closest rapist. Yeah, 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 yeah. We should have some most dramatic court Mullers, the Mueller awards. The Mueller, oh, Mueller. So we had the, the probies. The probies. I, oh my god, Ag, that's brilliant. <laughs> the <Thank> probies. <laughs> I just like the oh. probies. And then yeah, can yeah. The, can the award be like a pap schmear thing? Oh yeah, we could have all sorts <laughs> the of. I'm, I'm all for it. Let's get some sponsors on it. <laughs> on board with this. <laughs> Speculum Award. It's cold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put it in the oven. Put it in the speculum oven. It's oh, cold, man. God. Uh, <laughs> although I started to get hot flashes, so, you know. Oh. Yay for that. It's going to make that extra fun. Um, <laughs> anyway, Papa Dop, going to jail 14 days. Poor thing. Uh, then what I think is the big story this week. It dropped Friday. And this is going to sound weird, but stick with me. It's that Putin and Russia rejected Turkey's call for peace in Syria. This is huge. Putin appeared at a trilateral meeting with Iran and Turkey and said uh, Russia would continue its fight against terrorists in Idlib province. That's the last stronghold of the Syrian opposition against Assad. Assad is the terrible leader of Syria that we oppose currently. Uh, Syrian military forces backed by Russia and Iran are getting ready to launch a major offensive there soon. Turkey and their president Erdogan had long backed some rebel groups uh, there and has told Russia and Iran that it didn't want Idlib turning into a bloodbath. However, Russia and Iran are allies of Syria's president Assad and Russian airstrikes backed by Iranian fighters have uh, have happened to fight rebels in Syria on Assad's behalf. Iran's president Rouhani said... Fighting terrorism in Idlib is an unavoidable part of the mission of restoring peace. So basically, we have to have war if we want to have peace, which sounds like fucking to be a virgin. It's weird. (laughs) Um, uh, The UN is concerned that a war will create a huge humanitarian and refugee disaster, not to mention the U.S. envoy for Syria has said that there's evidence that chemical weapons are being prepared. And Idlib has 2.9 million civilian residents, a million of which are children. And I bring this up not just because of the humanitarian implications um, that, and that we have troops there that Russia would be attacking, but I bring this up because I'm also wondering where the United States was during this summit. Our president was tweeting at our AG trying to get him to investigate his political enemies, and it's embarrassing. And how often uh, – or and how, how – well, how are they going to respond – to this extremely important issue, uh, Trump, because we've said in the past that we are against Assad. There, there are some problems with that, though, because some of the rebels that are holding Idlib are al-Qaeda. Um, but considering that Trump is fully compromised by Putin um, and that we should be against Assad, it could be very tricky. 
do you know, and, and my point here is that Trump will be unable to respond cleanly because Putin has dirt on him. He's compromised. And that, that could cost lives, in, including our own U.S. troops. That is, if he even knew this meeting happened or where Syria is on a map or how to say it, <laughs> it's terrifying. And, and this is the kind of story that matters. We'll be right back. Hey, Miller Junkies. Today's episode is brought to you by Beachbody On Demand. And I have to tell you about this thing. It's a it's an on-demand streaming service that gives you instant access to a whole lot of uh, super effective workouts you can do from the comfort of your own living room 24-7 or your office, which is where I do them. And we've talked about this a lot on the show, how important self-care is. And part of self-care for me and part of making sure my mental health stays stable in these crazy news times is to exercise. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Beachbody On Demand. So you've heard of, of a lot of these exercises, the P90X stuff, the insanity, insanity um, and uh, the T25 focus and, and things like that. They're right. all part of that. Uh, Pio, which is a Pilates yoga thing. My personal favorite is T25 because it's 25 minutes, um, five days a week. You can do it at home or in the office. And it's it takes, like I can do it in a super short amount of time. And I've had amazing results. I'm on week six right now of T25, and I've lost about 18 pounds. Damn. In six weeks. It really works. I mean, you can't eat a bunch of crap on top of it, but, you know, (laughs) you 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 have to change your diet a little bit, too. But I just love how effective it is and how fast you get results, because that's one of the main things that kept me from dieting and exercise programs in the past is that I wouldn't see any results for several weeks, and I would get discouraged, and I would quit. But the first week, I lost, like, six pounds. It's nuts. Out of the last two sizes. So uh, I really want you guys to try this out. And because you're listeners, right now you can get a free trial membership by texting AG to 303030. So text AG to 303030 and then tweet at us and let us know how it's going. I want to see how you guys do because I absolutely love these. You get full access to the entire platform for free, all the workouts, and they have all sorts of levels. Um, They have like hip-hop abs, which is like super low impact, but then they go all the way up to Insanity Max 30, which is so hard. Uh, But, you know, I, I did that one for a while too. I loved it. So anyway, again, text AG to 303030 and then tweet at us at she wrote to let us know how it goes. And thanks for listening. All right. Welcome back. Hot notes. Okay. So today, Jordan is going to talk to us about Fear, the forthcoming book by legendary journalist Bob Woodward, who broke the Watergate story with Carl Bernstein originally. But first, a Bloomberg article came out this week that posits that Mifsud, the professor that Papadop connected with over Hillary emails, could be dead. We talked about this possibility last week a little bit with Grant Stern. So, Jalisa, what do you have for us on Mifsud? <laughs> yeah, so this week in uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales, basically the committee put out a statement, uh, the DNC committee put out a statement on the Hill, indicating that they used a private investigator to find Mifsud, who was missing for several months, and on the day that Papadop, a.k.a. Coffee Boy, was sentenced to jail for lying about contacts with Mifsud, the DNC lawyers from a separate case raised the possibility that Mifsud may be dead. So Mifsud was believed to be a Russian agent, and the DNC who's suing Russia, the Trump campaign, and WikiLeaks, said in a court filing on Friday that they believed all the defendants in the case have been served with the complaint, quote, with the exception of Mifsud, who is missing and may be deceased. 
And they didn't say anything else about it. <laughs> so they just <laughs> they just dropped that bombshell and just kept on moving. So uh, basically a mysterious key witness in the Mueller investigation who used Pompadop to set, set up Trump might be dead. And they're like, yeah, well, we tried. And um, I don't know what else they can do or say about it. But there's going to be a hearing on the DNC lawsuit on September 13th, which is this Thursday. So um, that'll be interesting. I'm just really sad for the kid. Yeah. Didn't he have, like, a love child out there or something? Yeah, I was going to say, I feel fucked up now because in earlier episodes we were joking about how he, like, could have died and now his kid's not going to have a dad. Exactly. He, like, really probably. did yeah, die. He, he had a fucking sad. Beyonce, who was pregnant at the time and, and now he would have an infant. Yeah. yeah. Um, no more than one, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, I can't really remember the timeline. But it, it is. It's really, it's really horrible. And that just kind of... You know, shows the the level to which Putin will go. Yeah, falling um, into that circle is just fucking dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. Stay away. Yeah, I mean, you know the threats that exist when you enter into work with him. Well, even working against him, you know, is a threat. So oh, it's like, especially. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to be a good person and still not get murdered by Putin somehow. <laughs> yeah. It's when you get really into it, I yeah. guess. I guess maybe he could have just been blackmailed or something, and that's why he was sort of doing his bidding. We speculated on that, I remember, when we first started reporting. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, he probably was a piece of shit, but you're right. It would be interesting if he was blackmailed and that could have been a part of it or a combination. And yeah. It's just sad. My hope, my real hope, is that he is in U.S. protective custody somewhere. Oh, hell yeah. That'd yeah, be that'd be an interesting plot twist. Yeah. The, the Dems wouldn't know that when they filed that lawsuit. Right, right. Nobody well, would. Yeah. Here's to hope. Mm. That's the idea. <laughs> I mean, yeah. hey, we can, it's just the news just broke. We can, yeah, we can see what happens for sure. Yeah, we will. We'll, I'm sure we'll hear more about it as that stuff comes out and as the hearing happens on September, what is it, 13th? 13th yep, this Thursday. Great. We'll, we'll definitely when the, follow you know, up next month or next week. Out. Yes. <laughs> next month. We'll follow up whenever we feel like yeah, it. Everything feels like an eternity now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you uh, so much for that. Thank and, you. And now... Jordan, tell us about the leaks the, the, from the forthcoming Bob Woodward book called Fear. Yeah, so uh, there's a book coming out by the dude, Bob Woodward, good old dude, who wrote, <laughs> he, uh, this was news to me because I'm young as fuck, obviously, so when I first heard his name, I'm like, who is that? But he's yeah, same. Uh, <laughs> one of the most important journalists in the history of America, broke the Watergate scandal. So. Cool story, bro. <laughs> yeah, cool story, bro. And then went on to write a countless amount of books covering various topics, he even covered drug culture when John Belushi died, but most notably he covers, you know, he does an amazing job at covering past presidencies and current presidencies. And so he's writing one about Donald Trump. And some of the excerpts from the book leaked this week. The book is set to come out September 11th. And before I go into some of the leaks, I wanted to give you the story of the origin of the title because it's chilling slightly. It comes from a quote that Trump actually said uh, in an interview in 2016, he said, real power is, I don't even want to use the word fear. I don't even want to use the word. Did he say that or did you say that? Trump said that. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a weird thing to say before you say it, like as if he knew how wrong it was. But he's like, well, that's what I believe. Yeah. Really weird. Unrelated interview, but still interesting. Very terrifying. insightful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's go through some of the stuff uh, that comes out in this book or we're expecting to see in the book. It's uh, final copies I already made, so it's not going to change. So this is definitely in the book. First thing, <laughs> he, <laughs> he uh, Trump apparently wanted to assassinate Syrian President al-Assad. Uh, so remember when in April 2017, the U.S. launched a cruise missile strike against the Syrian regime airbase? Oh, yeah. 
So that was the uh, walked back version of a military response to that chemical strike. Trump said, quote, let's fucking kill him. Let's go in. Let's kill the fucking lot of them. He told that to Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis, to which Jim Mattis said behind his back to senior staffers, uh, quote, we're not going to do any of that. We're going to be much more measured. Thank God for Mattis. Terrifying, though, to know. The main takeaway from that, obviously, is that Donald Trump is willing to reactively assassinate leaders around the world. I hesitate to even call him a leader, but you know what I mean. And it's interesting because Assad is allied with Putin. Mm-hmm. So, right. Like, that's an interesting that he would be like, just kill him. He probably doesn't, didn't know that, uh, I, I'm guessing. Oh, that's, oh, that's yeah. a good point. Well, I mean, I don't think much of what Trump does is calculated, you know, a lot of the time. It's reactionary, like you were saying. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. reactionary. Impulsive. But I do think immediately, yeah, as soon as he learns that he's a Putin ally, he's like, ah, fuck. All right, well, I can't be forward on that. But right. uh, thank God for Matt is still yeah. terrifying. So another thing that comes out is Trump apparently conceives of uh, the North Korea issue as something that can be solved mano y mano he says that the policy between america and north korea basically boils down to quote unquote me versus kim so in a fall interview in 2017 trump told rob porter about how he wanted to handle the ongoing nuclear tensions with north korea saying that essentially if the two can be boys then people will be saved which is an incredibly inflated an egotistical approach to take to North Korea, who has for decades and decades been a human rights abuser, and I don't need to go down the list, but to think that them having a good personal relationship is going to actually do the deed to solve that uh, complex issue is ignorant and short-sighted and scary, because obviously that's not what's going to work. You want to say something? Oh, totally. I was just going to agree with you, dude. (laughs) Yeah, it's like... It's ridiculous. I was going to think it's kind of sexist too, but the the whole boys comment. Maybe they didn't mean it that way, but it's like, oh no, sorry, that was my. That oh, okay, yeah, okay. Literally, yeah, yeah. literally, what he said was, um, he said, "quote Oh well, no, he did say man versus man. He said this is all about leader versus leader, man versus man, me versus Kim. Hmm. Does he think mano y mano means man versus man? <laughs> that would explain a lot. I think I think it means that. <laughs> no, <laughs> does it not mean that hand to hand? Oh, sorry, everyone. Manos. Which I guess <laughs> parallel an- analogies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Manos, the hands of fate. Oh, that would make sense. Just based on all the westerns I've seen, the instant and everything. <laughs> yeah, high yeah. fives are mono manos. Yeah. Oh, good point. No, that makes yeah. You know, I took French in high school. I regret it every day. <laughs> I took German, and in fact, I yeah. thought mono mono meant man to man until I left Cleveland. So that shows you where I'm at. Shout out yeah, to our Cleveland listeners. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> I was really just saying it because I learned it recently. Of course. It's just relevant. you know what I knew about it there. Yeah. Uh, so, so basically, obviously, you know, their North Korean summit was wildly unsuccessful. Uh, most recently, Trump canceled Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's trip to North Korea over disagreements and how, um, you know, they're they're refusing to essentially comply with denuclearizing themselves and whatever. He's, he's an idiot and he... Uh, That's coming out in the book, I guess. The extent of his idiocy on North Korea. Another thing that leaked, Trump tried to withdraw the U.S. from a trade deal with South Korea. So this is really sad to me. Um, Essentially what happened, so the U.S. has the U.S.-Korea Free Trade Agreement. And under this agreement, $145 billion in goods and services a year are traded between the two countries. And it's mostly tariff-free. So why this is important for South Korea, obviously it stimulates their economy. It keeps good relationships with 
us and them and they're a huge ally to us especially as we are working to protect them essentially against north korea potentially we have a program going over there where we're trying to develop technology that can you know detect missiles within some crazy short amount of time and him threatening there was a letter on trump's desk we learned that was going to pull us out of that agreement as soon as he signed it and one of trump's uh gary Cohn, he's trump's top economic advisor he was so fearful that trump was going to sign this letter he literally removed the letter from his (laughs) desk he said quote i stole it off his desk i wouldn't let him see it he's never going to see that document gotta protect the country damn that's crazy that's so scary and we go on to learn too in these some of these leaks that this happens a lot high up trump staffers are essentially intervening themselves and just rogue trying to keep things under control it's uh described as you know Woodward describes the tactic as no less than an administrative coup Mm d'etat and aligns exactly with the op-ed that came out this week. We also have uh, 2,800 troops, sorry, 28,000 troops in South Korea. So if that deal goes awry, I imagine, um, I, I don't think our troops would stay there. I don't think our program would continue there to help them detect missiles. It would just completely break down relations with South Korea, which is essential for the safety of not only South Koreans, but North Koreans as well. Another takeaway, Egypt's president brought up the Russia investigation during a negotiation with Trump. So basically what he had said in April 2017, they were having a discussion about the release of Aya Hijazi, who is an Egyptian-American aid worker that was in captivity in Egypt. And uh, Egypt's leader and Donald were on the phone and the um, his name's Al-Sisi. He said to Donald Trump, Donald, I'm worried about this investigation. Are you going to be around? Donald Trump then told his personal lawyer that his chat with CeCe was like a kick in the nuts. (laughs) What nuts? That is very true. (laughs) Yeah, he's got some kind of nuts, but there's some sort of GMO nuts, some alien alien nuts, evil alien nuts. Nudicles. Nudicles. (laughs) Yeah. Those are fake balls that you can buy to put in your dog's nut sack to make them look manly. Oh, oh my God. I didn't know that was a real thing. Wow. Or some guys who have testicular cancer will get a nudicle implanted so that they can have their ball back. That's wow. beautiful. Or you hang them on the back of your pickup truck. Yep. Nudicles. Yeah. Um, so this is just kind of, this is like a little, you know, I don't know if there's probably a jab coming from him to Donald Trump. But what's scary about this is the idea that there are leaders around the globe or dictators that we need to talk with and we need to have diplomacy with, but there's a potential that they're going to not take anything seriously that they're going to do with our country right now because they don't even know if Trump's going to be there. Mm-hmm. And it's likely that he's not going to be there. So that would be fair for them to not invest uh, a certain level of seriousness in their negotiations with him on a variety of matters. And that's right, terrifying. Like, why start a huge, long diplomatic negotiation if in six months Trump won't be there? Exactly. It's pointless. Um, or not pointless, but you know, it seems like it is. I mean, it it feels pointless. Yeah. Okay. And finally, uh, this is, this is the last takeaway that I saw that I think is, is important. Mattis apparently said that Trump acts like a fifth or sixth grader. And then Mattis went around and denied that he said that, or has ever said anything disparaging like that about the president, either in or behind his back. Uh, so that is troubling a little bit. Uh, I mean, it's good, obviously, I think, that Matt clearly Mattis thinks that Trump is not giving competent suggestions of what to do with the military because, you know, the example of saying we should bomb and kill Assad immediately. 
and him not doing that. But what's uh, what's a bummer to me about this is that it sort of can potentially maybe negate some of the things reported in the book. If Mattis is turning around saying he didn't say that, but he has to, he has to say that. Well, yeah, and we've talked we talked about that a little bit earlier. The reason Mattis and Kelly might be coming out and saying it's all lies, it's all bullshit, is because they feel like they have to stay in their positions in order to keep the world from exploding. Yeah, just like yeah. that op-ed. Yeah, it's the mm-hmm. same thing. They don't want to reveal their identity, but they still stand with them. And that's something else too. You just mentioned the op-ed. All of these things now, um, the book, the Woodward book, uh, the Omarosa book, the David Wolf book fire and fury and the op-ed and then uh, these other subsequent people coming out saying that they've seen the same things Mm -hmm. are all on the same page so while you might not find the credibility in a book like fire and fury or um, uh, omarosa's book Mm -hmm. woodward's credibility is unmatched uh, as Mm -hmm. a journalist yeah he's got tapes of everything by the way um, and we're going to be covering this book in our um, Mueller She Wrote book club starting as soon as we get it, September 11th, whatever the you know week is after that. Um, and that's going to be for patrons. So if you want to become a patron, you can still do it like for a dollar at uh, MuellerSheWrote.com. But the credibility of Woodward is, is impeccable. And in fact, Trump tweeted out in March of 2013 um, saying Woodward is, you know, awesome uh, because he had written a book about the Obama administration. <laughs> Uh, and basically the big scandal that came out in that book was that Obama apparently might have been a bit heavier handed on the moderate budget than he let on. Oh, my God. Oh, so scandalous. Yes. Uh, so but yeah, Woodward has, you know, tr- Trump tweeted like, great Woodward, go ahead and try to, you know, refute this Obama. Woodward's awesome. And now he's like amazing. Hey. Yeah. And so now it's completely the opposite because it's somebody saying something bad about him. Yeah. You'll notice when the book comes out that Trump and any direct quotes from him to Woodward uh, do not exist because he tried to reach out to the White House for comment from the president and he got no response. And there's actually you can look it up right now. The Washington Post published the conversation Woodward had with Trump after Trump learned that this book was being published trump's essentially saying why didn't you call me dude you could have tried reaching all of the people that are around me why didn't you try and bob woodard is like i did i reached out to at least seven or eight people Mm -hmm. i tried very hard to get in contact with you i talked to kellyanne she didn't get back to me and then donald's like I'm gonna get her. He goes, yeah. Let me let me get her in here. She jumps on the phone. Yes. Oh Uh, my god. And she's like, no, I remember that. I do. I remember it. And you can. That's a great voice for her. And you can tell. (laughs) You can tell so much about what it's like working for him with how she reacts. She says. Uh, well, I can tell you that I, uh, I I know that Donald is going to want to know the names of all the people that you asked to talk to him. So send over like a list of those names so they can essentially be fucking fired. Or I think my favorite lashed. thing Kelly, Kellyanne Conway said this week is she did an interview, I think, with CNN when they were asking her about the op ed. And, and she said, Trump's going to suss out who it Trump. What was it? Trump. Oh, they're going to suss themselves out or something like that. She completely misused the word sus, which is a British term. Yeah, I don't even know um, what that word means. So that's fine. But I mean, it means to figure it out. Like, mm. But she used it completely improperly mm-hmm. and I just laughed at her for a minute. Yeah, not um, a surprise. She's, but, um, she's a laughable person. She really is. Yeah, but uh, she got thrown under the bus. I'm sure Donald had some... I don't know why I keep calling him Donald this episode. I don't think I like it. Trump (laughs) is going to have some words with her. And apparently Lindsey Graham did talk to Donald Trump. And on the phone, he does remember. He's like, oh, no, yeah, you're right. Lindsey Graham did come talk to me. And then it's like, all right, well, then that's your fucking fault then, isn't it? But of course he's not going to say I guess I'll just have another bad book. Okay, I Uh, guess. Too bad. That's too bad. Yeah. Mm, You're going to have more than than a couple. I was going to say, that's not too bad. Yeah, that's like five bad. (laughs) Five bad books. 
right. <laughs> well, thank you for that reporting, and I look forward to reading that book. We're going to get it when everybody else gets it. So We're doing didn't. a book club for it, right? Yeah, we are. Yeah, they didn't send us an advanced copy, though, so we have to wait until everyone else does. Uh, that's fine. That's okay. Worst part about reading that book is going to be seeing his big, fat face on the front every time we read it, because that's the cover. Is it on there? It's oh. just enlarged, Triggering. fills up the entire cover. Gross. But it's all red, like in oh, propaganda. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, guys, I want to go over the Kavanaugh hearings that started this week. So what does that have to do with Russia and Mueller, you might ask? Have you discussed Mueller or his investigation with anyone at Kasowitz, Benson, and Torres, the law firm founded by Mark Kasowitz, President Trump's personal lawyer? Uh, Be sure about your answer, sir. uh, Well, I'm not remembering, but if you have something you want to... That clip went on for about eight minutes, and he was worse than when, you know, uh, when they asked Manafort, you know, in our in our opening sequence. Well, that's what he said. That's what I, <laughs> uh, that's, that's what our position is. It was like that. He was, I don't, I don't know. And then a Republican senator interjected and said, this isn't fair. Law firms are like rabbits, and they're always multiplying and changing <laughs> off new s- strings, and you can't know who everyone who works at a law firm. Ooh. But it's clear she was asking about a specific person she couldn't name because it's from a committee confidential document. Uh, But that's a really interesting piece, and it ties directly into the Mueller investigation because if Kavanaugh and Mueller – or if Kavanaugh and uh, Trump's lawyers were talking, um, that's a problem, Mm -hmm. particularly if they were talking about Mueller. And and apparently she's got documents that say that. What were you going to say? Oh, no. Yeah. No, no, no. It just sucks. Yeah. Uh, then one thing that I noticed a lot were the protests that first started uh, from the very get-go, uh, from the very get-go, from the moment that the, the hearings began, protesters shouting, vote no, be a hero, oh, and they were dragged out one by one. Over 70 were arrested the first day. I don't have a total for the week, but wow. a lot of protesters. It seems like more than usual. That happens a lot. It happened with Gorsuch. Um, it never happens with when Democrats appoint judges, but... Um, <laughs> It happened a lot for that. So because liberals are just crazy. No, we just want rights for you. It's weird. Uh-huh. Um, there's nothing to protest, uh, and and that those are the protests when Trump, like a couple hours later, this should be illegal. It's embarrassing. You know what? You're embarrassing. Um, then all, another th- tactic they tried, um, the Republicans tried to pull, was that the night before they were uploading forty two thousand documents into this reader. Uh, program that takes it, it takes a while for the things to upload. They were all finally finished uploading at 6.41 the next morning and the hearing started at 9.30. So all the Democrats tried to make a point of order that they wanted to uh, enter a motion to delay the hearings because they haven't had a chance to look at all the documents. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just kept saying, no, you can't as point of order. We're not an executive session. Mm-hmm. This is a hearing. But then they used that as an excuse to do something different that like later on they were like, no, we're not in a we're not in a hearing, we're in executive session, so you can't bring that. Like, what the fuck are we in, and what can we do? And Because <laughs> what the hell, bro? And, and it was just really difficult to watch that first that first day. They didn't even get to his opening statements until the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. Because everyone was objecting. Right, and when they started, too, the, the chairman would only talk over women explicitly. Yeah. As soon as any males that were resisting started speaking, he would let them have the floor. He's an angry little fucker, too. Dude. Well, you just listen to me. I'm Chuck Grantley. <laughs> I will not lose control. Either I run the committee or the committee runs me. And I'm just tired of these old fucking white dudes, like, yeah. in charge of, you know, I have, 
I have reproductive privilege. I am beyond the age of where I would need an abortion. But God damn it, that pisses me off so badly. Like you have to, how can you not have all the documents and give people adequate time to review them? My my team reviewed them all. No, you didn't. I, I was hoping that one of the Democratic senators would start asking questions from the 42 documents mm-hmm. to be like, really? Did you review them all? Well, what's this? And what's this? And like, oh, yeah, you can't expect me to remember 42,000 documents. I just, oh, he's just so mad. Like what a... I hope his life sucks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel about him maybe he he annoys me half as much as Trey Gowdy. <laughs> half as much. Yeah, he's Gowdy the worst is. person to watch on C-SPAN. Jim Jordan, but and Gowdy. he's pretty bad. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. Ugh. Jim Jordan. Yeah. Ugh. To uh to the chairman's credit though, I hate to say that, but he did say he did admit that he has been ran over by the committee, and he allowed the precedent that was set by him being bulldozed by them essentially to continue. At one point, he did I say have to give him some credit for that. Yeah, he was like, "Well, I let everyone talk as long as they want. I can't take it away now." And that's why he was like, "Either you run the committee, or the committee runs you." Mm-hmm. God damn it, flabbity flea. <laughs> oh well, I guess I'll have to let you talk. Yep. Um, but I'm not going to entertain any, you know, motions. But not even a motion to vote on it or, you know, it was, Yeah, I don't, it's like they didn't care, give a shit about the rules of the Senate. No, and they said that they should have been able to hire people to look over all the documents. Are you, what What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I don't, maybe I just don't know how Washington works I, I, and it's actually conceivable, but it just to anyone else that's listening, that's an actual citizen. That sounds ridiculous. Right, because think about it. Let's say you got 42,000 documents and you hire 420 people each to review a thousand documents and then you go, is that right? Yeah, no, that's, 42 people to, to do 1,000 documents or 420 to do 100 documents. Then you go, all right, review them all. And then you split it all up. And then you go, all right, so how am I going to get all of their knowledge into my fucking head so that I can ask questions? You can't do it unless you're in the matrix and you have a <laughs> program uploaded and now you know jujitsu and what's in the 43,000 yeah. documents. Well, it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. The Republicans are robots. That's why. That's why they could do oh it. Oh, my God. Oh, they're the men in the suits, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. agents russian mm. agents sometimes yeah. i think we should have a <laughs> computer as the as the uh, supreme court like, <laughs> oh just, just a computer they know what's up like yeah. you can have they have all the law and they know everything. futurama style yeah, yeah. Totally. like what is love <laughs> <laughs> people who should be able to love who they want to be in <laughs> um i think it'd be great anyway nice robots um Wednesday night, we tweeted out um, that the Democrats, I, I was like, you should just release the documents. Just release them. If, if, if you know what's in them and they're really important, just release them. What are they going to do? They could expel you from the Senate. That would require 67 votes. They're not going to fucking get that. Nah, right? no one's going to bother. So I tweeted at Booker and Leahy and uh, Feinstein and a couple others. I was like, just do it. Just release them. Then they did the next morning. I don't think it's because I told them to. But well, maybe you and people like you. You know, it'd be, it'd be yeah. nice. But I, I don't think so. They're like, oh look, Mueller. She wrote says we should just release the documents. She's right. We hadn't <laughs> thought about that before. Thank you for pointing that out. You <laughs> genius. I read all of our tweets. <laughs> <laughs> So a handful of senators released emails that were supposed to be committee confidential, a break in the law. Uh, but what's interesting is Burke is the guy who decided what was committee confidential. Um, and Senator Cory Booker brought that up in the to the committee. He, committee confidential is designated usually uh, a designation reserved for a handful of documents that could be sensitive, such as like this guy had a DUI or some criminal history or something. And uh, Burke is a private lawyer. Cory Booker's like, who the fuck is this guy? In fact, he's currently the lawyer representing Bannon, Priebus, and McGahn <laughs> in the Mueller investigation. And remember when we said that perhaps Burke was advising those three not to answer questions in congressional committees? Maybe, 
maybe their side didn't want the GOP to learn what they knew. And I, I was wondering for a second, and then I stopped. But I was wondering <laughs> if if this withholding of the Kavanaugh documents was for the same reason. Like if you listen to the Kamala Harris line of questioning, it's clear Kavanaugh had discussions about Mueller with someone at Kazowitz's law firm. So maybe this is part of a, the obstruction case. I don't know. That's pretty far-fetched. But wh- like, why else would Burke have been given that job? And who gave it to him? That's what I want to know. Good questions. Yeah, I'm curious. So one of the emails that they released, um, uh, quote, I am not sure. Okay, so (laughs) there's so many documents. I'm I'm only going to go over the ones that I thought were like super important. Um, And what was interesting is the Mueller document that Kamala Harris was referring was not released. And that could also be because you don't want to. It's an open and ongoing investigation. Mm -hmm. The Mueller document about him talking to someone from that law firm, you mean? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So or whatever email it was or however Mm -hmm. she knew, whatever the document said that she knew that he had talked to somebody at the Kazowitz law firm about the Mueller investigation that did not get released. But one of the things was an email that he wrote about Roe v. Wade, where he basically says it's not settled law. He says, quote, I am not sure that all legal scholars refer to Roe as the settled law of the land at, at the Supreme Court level, since the court can always overrule its precedent and three current justices on the court would do so. So that could be very important to Murkowski and Collins, who are pro-choice Republicans. You just need a couple people. And um, so right now, what you should be doing is calling Murkowski, not McCaskill, (laughs) Murkowski (laughs) and Collins, because they are pro-choice Republicans, they're women, and they, you know, they've heard this now. And, and, you know, Kavanaugh doesn't think Roe is settled. That's frightening. That's Handmaid's Tale frightening. Uh, it was also revealed in the documents that Kavanaugh has views way outside the mainstream on whether or not a president is above the law. Like, he's the only judge in the whole land that thinks that the president could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue, which um, mm-hmm. John Dean testified to. He said, so what? basically what Kavanaugh is saying is he could Trump could shoot somebody in cold blood on Fifth Avenue and not have to face any criminal prosecution or investigation. Mm-hmm. That's exactly. the most ridiculous thing ever. Uh, it's been settled several times that, that the president is not above the law. U.S. v. Nixon, for example, U.S. v. Clinton. I mean, it's, it's come out that Clinton could uh, face civil lawsuit from, you know, from the lady. And that, like, it's just it's settled law. But Kavanaugh's like, it's not settled. I can overturn it. So it's like, fuck you. Um, sorry. We also found out that uh, <laughs> Kavanaugh lied to the Senate committee a few times back in 2004 and 2006. We found out he lied about not handling the Judge Pickering nomination um, he was a very uh, um, controversial uh, nomination in the, under the Bush White House. And the, do- the documents the Dems released showed he did work on a lot of the Pickering nomination. He was p- kind of central in it. It also came out in 2004 and 2006. He lied to the Senate, particularly uh, Leahy, saying he never saw any of the stolen Democratic Miranda memos. Um, basically, that was a whole tranche of, uh, of uh, memos that were stolen from the Democrats and given to the Republicans so that they could... Uh, basically use it for political yeah, reasons use it yeah for political reasons um, and he said he didn't have any of that but it turns out there was an email to brett kavanaugh with the subject spying <laughs> all about the miranda documents <laughs> like directly to him so he lied and it also came out um that he lied about having anything to do with discussions on the legality of warrantless wiretapping and enhanced interrogation techniques when he was a staff secretary at at uh, the bush white house Another thing that came out was Kavanaugh had referred to birth control as abortion-inducing drugs in one of his rulings, <laughs> which, first of all, is not how lady parts work. <laughs> Second of all, this means it's not just Roe that's in jeopardy, but contraceptives as well. 
Yes. That's terrifying. It is. Sorry to laugh so hard. That's just so ridiculous. Is plan B considered? Do you think he's talking about plan B? No, he's talking about birth control what pills. What a fucking idiot. Not even plan B. Not even RU486, which was the actual abortion inducing pill. Like maybe yeah. he's confusing them. I mean, I guarantee he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. I, so that wouldn't If I had me. to guess, it sounds crazy to even think, but like, what if he thinks that it's just like the fact that it exists makes people think like, like, oh, that's I should go out and get it because I can. Like, no, he thinks it induces abortions. Like, he just, doesn't understand how the pill works. He doesn't fucking understand crazy. it. But there's, but there's Republican senators <laughs> who think we pee out of our vagina holes. So you know, good point. They they are some cra- crazy. They people. don't understand yeah. how you know what, and that's weird because they seem to have a huge appetite for weird sex stuff. Yeah. Well, stop voting for them, please. In their defense, <laughs> it took me until I was like thirteen to figure that out. Okay, <laughs> so a thirteen-year-old girl. <laughs> has more knowledge about the female body than people who are regulating it. Yeah. That's messed up, man. It is. Yeah, I didn't understand about pee either for a while. Yeah, the urethra was pretty weird. That was a weird discovery. My mom never told me about it. I learned that like a month ago, though. And mostly like a really inappropriate Aretha Franklin joke there. I'm not going (laughs) to get it. Too soon. Way too soon. All right, Senator Cory Booker noted in these hearings that Kavanaugh was not on the list of conservative judges provided to Trump by the Heritage Foundation and the Federalist Society. So basically, Trump, when he you know, was running for office, said, I will pick a judge that is approved by the Heritage uh, Foundation and the Federalist Society. These are two super conservative, anti-abortion, anti-choice, um, anti-gay marriage uh, groups. And they are the ones who put these lists together. Kavanaugh wasn't on it until the Mueller probe started. <laughs> and then his name just showed up on it. <laughs> and he's the one who thinks that the president's above the law. Hmm, weird. Yep. Um, And I talked about John Dean testifying. Um, That was interesting. But more importantly to me was a line of questioning from Senator Harris about whether or not Kavanaugh had conversations with anyone at Kazowitz Benson Torres. That's a law firm founded by Kazowitz, which is Trump's lawyer. Um, And she asked about if, if he'd had any discussions with anyone from that firm about Mueller or his investigation. And he couldn't answer it. I don't I don't know who works there. I don't I don't understand. And like I said, it wasn't until that Republican senator like broke in and said, uh, it's impossible to know. And then and then from then on, Kavanaugh's like, yeah, I don't know who works there. I can't answer your question until I know who works just feeding there. him like crappy answers. Yeah. So and so let's talk about who Kazowitz is in case you you've uh, we've reported on him a lot. He's he was in last week's What the Fuck Award story. Remember Joe Lowe and Pras Michelle from the Fugees mm-hmm. and Broidy? Yeah, Kazowitz was repping Jolo. And Kazowitz also helped Kushner get a real estate loan from Deutsche Bank and may have played a role in the firing of Preet Bharara. So he talked, so Kavanaugh talked to somebody at that firm about the Mueller investigation. That's what Kamala Harris was getting at. And it was important enough for her to read it out of a committee confidential document, risking her job, but not really. Uh, but that was not released to the public, like I said. So we don't know what that conversation was about. But Spicy Files on Twitter, if you don't follow them, you should, has posted proof uh, that a pack to get Kavanaugh confirmed bought their website and set it up back in February of 2017. So they've been working on this for a while. And um, all and here's something else that they brought up, too. All these papers that, that are committee confidential right now or that they haven't gotten a hold of, they'll all come out by 2019. And I think we can Im- impeach a judge. Uh, and I hope we do, because he will more li- more than likely be impeachable. Well, be confirmed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's you. Yeah. Uh, and then if we can get him out, we can put maybe Merrick Garland in there like we were supposed to. But oh, that'd be amazing. Like Ukraine, didn't they? 
put, put in their politician that they... Yeah, but that was the president. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Totally different. Vote hacking and all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, <laughs> not not the same in America. No, but you're yeah. right. Different situation specifically. Yeah. I, we, yeah, we don't like... We don't do operate quite that way. But speaking of Merrick Garland, some late breaking news dropped today. That's Saturday. We record on Saturday that the Democratic Coalition filed a criminal complaint against Brett Kavanaugh for perjury in congressional testimony. The Democratic Coalition is a national super PAC based in D.C. founded by Joe Cooper and friend of the pod Scott Dworkin. Mm. According to the filing, Kavanaugh lied to Senator Leahy in 2004 and 2006 during his hearings for the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals and twice during his confirmation hearing this week. The kicker... Uh, to this is that a separate judicial ethics complaint will be submitted Monday by uh, Dworkin and Cooper to the D.C. Circuit Court for review by Judge Merrick Garland. Mm. Oh, the sweet justice. I mean, it's like it's not what he wanted in the beginning, but I love that he's involved now. Well, he should have just been the judge. <laughs> he's on the D.C. Circuit Court. Oh, That's so he's, he's been. But he's not the Supreme Court judge. But I, I mean, it still counts. It's like Bernie no, but going he's reviewing back to... this criminal review of Judge. Yeah, Trump. it's beautiful. Yeah. I, I love the sweet. karma. It's good. I appreciate it. Do they not have any sort of conflict of interest rules? I was thinking that. Like, shouldn't he recuse himself from this case? And yeah. He might. But, yeah, like, I'm a bitter bitch. But, <laughs> you know, maybe not. I mean, if Kavanaugh won't recuse himself from yeah. matters coming up to the court that involve Trump. He, he by the way, he said he he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't agree to that. Yeah. Hmm. I don't think he's a bitch. Sorry. That was strictly for the alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. We'll be right back. Hey, Muller Junkies. Thank you so much for supporting our show and supporting women in podcasting. I need to ask you for a quick favor that will not cost you a dime. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and then subscribe. That simple act goes a long way to helping us get the word out about the Mueller investigation. And more importantly, it expands our efforts to flip Congress blue in November. And don't forget, follow us on Twitter at Mueller She Wrote to be automatically entered to win a PlayStation 4. Don't ask. Thank you so much for listening. We would not be here without you. All right, you guys ready for the Fantasy Indictment League? Yes. Okay, so we didn't have any indictments this week, so no points awarded. Uh, For this week, I think I'm going to put Stone back on my team and keep... Donald Trump Jr., uh, Butina for su- superseding indictments, Kushner, and Arando. How about you guys? I'm going to do uh, Trump or Cohen, Kushner, Jr., and Arando. All right. All right. I'm doing um, Trump or Kushner, DTJ, one Rando, and Rohrabacher. All right. Rohrabacher. I I'm like taking, the way you play, Jordan. I'm taking Intrader <laughs> off, so I just wanted to make sure that it, that was clear. What'd you replace him with again? Uh, let's see. I replaced him with Stone. I put Stone back on the team. Oh, that's right. He's like a ticking bomb. Yeah. Like, like all these guys, Andrew Miller and Corsi, who are refusing to testify, I think Mueller's going to be like, fuck you then. I have enough. Exactly. And I think he's just going to drop it. I think he's just going to send it out. That'd be amazing. All right. You guys ready for sabotage? Yeah. All right, we have two sabotage stories this week. The first one is that late Friday, Bloomberg reported that Manafort is weighing a plea deal to avoid his upcoming criminal trial. Um, I think he may also be avoiding superseding indictments for collusion if he flips, because there's that likely uh, superseding indictment that could drop. 
and the information that he can offer Mueller on those superseding indictments. Um, aside from that, Trump executives now face U.S. campaign finance probe uh, investigations from federal prosecutors. Federal prosecutors from the Southern District of New York are pursuing a federal criminal investigation into the Trump Organization for campaign finance violations. It's really uh, the executives that are under investigation. And since Alan Weisselberg was given immunity in exchange for his testimony, that leaves the kids. So because of all that, I am going to change my draft to include Donald Trump Jr., Ivanka, Kushner, Butina, and a plea deal with Manafort. Hmm. Okay. You can pick this week a plea deal with Manafort, and that'll give you the Manafort level points. I like that. Even though he's so wishy-washy, it would be nice to see it. I think I'm going to leave mine as is. I like the fact that you separated Ivanka from Trump Jr. Because I think of the, the Trump org as all of them, you know, like getting them all at once. But you're right. It, it'll probably be individually. It could be individually too. Yeah. And I yeah. don't think Eric, I think he's too derpy to, yeah. <laughs> to handle stuff like that. It's the perfect description of his face <laughs> yeah. too. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Like, I don't think he's executive one or executive two at the Trump org. Yeah. Good point. You know, Austin Powers, he's like Seth Green as the son that just really oh. wants to be evil. Yeah. yeah. But That's he's just cute. a big failure. Sad but cute. To be uh, a failure of a failure, my God, I can't imagine what he yeah, feels. I go night. back and forth from feeling bad for the Trump kids and then remembering how rich they are. And I'm like, well, you know, that some things balance out. Oh, yeah. And her hotel <laughs> was basically funded by terrorists yeah. and yeah, yeah. money laundering. If they weren't like, you know, evil people, then I would feel bad for them. You know, rich yeah. people can be sad, but they're they're bad. <laughs> like one. Like, one of them has to become a hippie or something just for the full arc of, oh, of yeah. the family. Someone has to reject their ways. Maybe they already Tiffany. expelled that person Tiffany. from the family. Oh, yeah. I forget Tiffany exists. And it's yeah. not a, a dag, you know, like a, a dig at her. I feel like she's actually a better person for it. <laughs> like, the fact that I don't even associate her with them means that well, I think she's, she's out a there. middle wife kid. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> middle wife kid. I'd love to talk to her. <laughs> if you ever want to be on the pod, Tiffany. That would be interesting. Yeah. That's a very different level of middle child. Not yeah. only are you the middle child, but you're the child of the middle wife. Wow. Mm-hmm. Meta. That's really funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hopefully there's just a coalition of all of his children from previous marriages that will come together and be like, Trump's not our dad, not our president. I don't know. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know what they'd say. Dad. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. But to, for my fantasy indictment league, I'm going I'm going to hold off on the Manafort until next week. I think that that's a very smart move, though. Mm, thank you. Um, but... I do want to give, ah, okay, I'm going to take the Trump org off, and I'm just, oh, no, I'm not. I'm so sorry. I'll take Aurora Bakker off, and I'll put Ivanka on. I think that's smart. Okay. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Inconsequential. <laughs> you guys ready for Q&A? Yeah. Yes. So today for Q&A, we have a very special guest to discuss his film, Active Measures. It's the writer and director. His name is Jack Bryan. Jack, welcome to Muller, she wrote. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, we really appreciate it. We caught you on uh, Bill Maher this weekend, and, and we're, we were blown away. So we, I really appreciate you joining us for this. So first, everyone needs to see this movie. It's like a visual demonstration of all the things we've discussed on the pod from episode one. Everyone should see it. It's on Hulu, <clears throat> Amazon, and iTunes right now, so check it out. Um, and one thing I noticed that pops up a lot in the movie that we haven't quite cracked here on, on Mueller, she wrote, is the connections to Don Semyon. Can you tell us about the significance of, of who, you know, who he is and his role in the Trump-Russia investigation? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Semyon Mogilevich, known as Don Simeon, uh, the brainy Don, um, he's got a lot of nicknames. 
he is sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, he is the, the godfather or the Kaiser Soze of the Russian mafia. Uh, he is a Ukrainian born. He also has an Israeli passport. He lives uh, in Moscow. And he was the guy who originally figured out how to launder a ton of money from Russia into America. Uh, his first scheme was big scheme that sort of made him pop up on the American sort of landscape was called YBN Magnets, where he started a fake magnet company and actually got it on the uh, Canadian Stock Exchange. Uh, and it was just a vehicle for laundering money. Uh, he, the U.S. government went after him for a while. He was on the 10 most wanted list. Um, and basically what, what he does uh, largely is two things. One is he controls the Ukrainian, Russian-Ukrainian gas trade, uh, which is immensely popular, all of, or profitable rather. All of the um, gas, natural gas that comes into Europe, it comes through Ukraine. So it's an amazingly important port for, the, for gas. Uh, and he also, uh, when corrupt officials, Putin and his inner circle, want to steal money from Russia, which is how they make money, is you know, they're not really rich off you know, a politician's salary. Uh, they frequently will go through Mogilevich's networks to launder that money into Europe and into uh, America. And he becomes important in the um, Trump, Donald Trump story because it is his network that is largely um, work, you know, associating with Trump uh, on the Russian mafia side. That David Bogadin, who in 1984 bought five condos from Trump, uh, when it tracks into action, it was money laundering. Uh, he was a, a Mogilevich-connected guy. Yasov Ivankov, who lived in Trump Tower, was a Mogilevich-connected guy. And um, our research is that uh, it was actually after Trump's bankruptcy starting in 1990 and going to 2004, it was Mogilevich who really made the move on him uh, and decided that this was a guy who was uh, a good get. And Mogilevich, being a money laundering guy, knew that Trump – there were no one to ask questions about money going into the Trump organization – because he was a big name and famous and people knew that money went in there. And real estate was the best way for them to do this. There's a cutout in the Patriot Act for real estate so that you can't see those transactions. And uh, he has uh, played very prominently on both sides. He's been connected to Putin since 1994 um, when Putin was uh, deputy mayor of St. Petersburg on the rise. And uh, Mogilevich was a mobster in Russia on the rise. So I would assume that Weiselberg, who's the CFO uh, of the Trump Organization and the quote-unquote treasurer of the Trump Foundation, would know all of this since he kind of basically handled all the finances for the Trump Org throughout that entire time that you were talking about when the money laundering started becoming prevalent? Well, I, he would know certainly the associates. I mean, Mogilevich will always, in any of these transactions, be at least four steps behind it. So he would know the – I mean, Sater was connected to Mogilevich. Uh, Alex Snyder, who got the uh, sorry, Felix Sater, who uh, the who was uh, in Bayrock, in Bay, the managing director of Bayrock Group, which was in Trump Tower and secured a lot of the financing for Trump properties, including the Trump Soho, uh, some Fort Lauderdale money, um, things like that. It, he ran a pump and dunk stocks stock scheme that was tied to Mogilevich. Uh, Alex Snyder, who got the financing for the Toronto Tower, has been tied to him through his I think his father in law Boris Bierstein. Um, and so there's, there's that money. And then also through Trump Soho, one of the sponsors of the project was the guy, Alexander Mashkevich, who, uh, is been tied to Mogilevich several times. Um, yeah. 
So purportedly, Mogilevich would have had his hands in that $95 million Russia or a Florida mansion sale by Ryblovlev. Is that, am I saying it right? We call him Robocop because I can't understand his name. But uh, so. Yeah, I think it's Ryblovlev. Yeah, there you go. And so I, I presume uh, Mogilevich had his hands in that as well as, uh, it, was he tied to the Rosneft sell-off as well? I don't know. I, I think that that, uh, the Ryblovlev, I think that that was, I I don't know that he interacts with all the oligarchs. I think that if you're looking for Mogilevich, it's in the, the, the developments, like the actual uh, property developments. It's going to be in those as opposed to necessarily one-off transactions. Because um, I, I think that that was just Trump needed uh, a pay off a Deutsche Bank loan and Rubelayev was going through a divorce and trying to stash money all over the place. Um, and so I don't know if that's necessarily connected to Mogilevich. But uh, Manafort very much is, because when he was working in uh, Ukraine, he was working for Dmitry Firtash, who was Mogilevich's partner in Ukraine. Uh, and so a lot of the money that gets got laundered through Manafort is indirectly or directly tied to Mogilevich. So Manafort, potentially, Bloomberg reported just, I think, a couple of days ago that Manafort, or yesterday, that Manafort might be working on a deal. Um, I'm assuming that sort of proffer would come with it. Yeah, or he might just not want to go before a D.C. jury. He might just be like, I'll take 10 years. I, I don't know. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> or, you know, and a lot of us were talking about how he, he might be, you know, digging his heels in because he doesn't want to have to be on Putin's hit, hit list. Absolutely. And, and, but I think it's also the, the mob. I mean, if you look at what he was doing in Ukraine, he was dealing very directly with figures that were associated, got the majority of their money from the Russian mafia. And uh, I think that he is probably I, if I were in his position, I would be more worried about that than anything else that Mueller could throw at me out. Yeah, I think I think you're right on that. So I wanted to ask you, we have a really hard time week to week deciding where we're going to cut off the news and just start reporting it. How did you decide where you were going to end this film? Because 10 news stories drop every day on this Trump Russia entanglement. So how, how was that a challenge for you? Well, it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, I think that we were kind of lucky in the sense that we started this project so early uh, that I think a lot of the sort of a lot of the stuff that came out of the news didn't wasn't in our heads because it wasn't there when we started because we we, we started the film shoot, uh, working on the film like March thirty first two thousand seventeen and we didn't even get to our first uh, interview in our first interview happened the day after Comey was fired uh, and so there, ha there we were starting this from a position of there is no investigation nobody's looking into this nobody cares um, and uh, so I think that we weren't really the news of the day wasn't what was driving us so much. And so we saw our job as going back and putting together all the pieces about how we got to the news of the day uh, and giving people context for understanding the news of the day as opposed to trying to incorporate that. So we really we don't incorporate the Mueller investigation because we kind of see that as looking he's looking at the same things we're trying to look at in a weird way. Um, and so by really not worrying about uh, we looked at it sort of like the election and then the things that you need to know about the pay, like how that affected in broad terms, like how, how what is the repercussions of that in just very quick snippets and kind of give a sense of where we are. But, yeah, it was it was a difficult call because, you know, the original cut of the film was much, much longer. <laughs> and so it's we trying to figure out where to pull. And we felt the more valuable information was a backstory than the news of the day. 
I'd, I'd like to see the uncut version. I'd like to see the director's cut come out. I'll say that now, but it is very, very long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we didn't even start picking up this story until, uh, I don't think we started this podcast until end of October when uh, Gates and Manafort were indicted. So, yeah, I can see how you have more of a 30,000-foot view uh, of, of all the connections that are necessary to understand, to, you know, even begin to see why these details make a difference. So in in some subsequent stories that, that weren't included in your movie, because they're more recent, I was wanting to get your views on like the Fertosh connection with Lanny Davis and Cohen. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that I think is incredibly interesting. Uh, and I, you know, I, I wonder, because Lanny Davis also is so connected with the Clintons. I, I wonder if there is if he's if he is working with Cohen because of the Clintons or because of Fertash, because uh, I don't know that he's worked for the Clintons and since the late '90s uh, at all, uh, and he has done a fair amount of work with Fertash since. So that is a the biggest question in my mind regarding uh, Lanny Davis's involvement in that is what the heck is going on there? Uh, I it could just be that Fertash is a super rich dude and has a lot of legal troubles, uh, and that could be a coincidence. Um, I, I, I tend to think that's more likely, but I, I, I don't know. And I don't really, I don't, I, I, that changes day to day, hour to hour. So I really, I wish I had more of a sense on that. I, I really don't. Yeah, that's true. Whatever you would say right now could be different by Monday when we air this. So, <laughs> um, and then what did you think of the Helsinki summit? Uh, I would have been shocked if it had been anything else. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> yeah. We, none of us were surprised. Yeah, I mean, everyone, everyone came back. It's like, oh, my God, he did the exact same thing he did at the G20. It's like, yeah, that's he did the same thing before. Or G, it was GA or G20. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think that that was – I mean, I think it was it was good because it was so clear that to, it, for some reason that was the thing that was clear to people. I, I, I think it's good that people are seeing it and that it's uh, becoming more obvious. But it was weird to me that that was the thing. Um, given all of the other things that are out there, but whatever it takes. Right. Like, how could you possibly be surprised? Um, but I guess if you don't know or you aren't operating under the assumption that he's an asset or that he's somehow compromised by the Russians, then it, it probably wouldn't make sense to you. So, um, all right. Well, you know what? I've really uh, appreciated you coming on today. Could you tell everybody where they can find the film? Yeah, it's uh, it's on iTunes. It's in select uh, cities on theaters. In theaters, it's on Amazon, and uh, check it out. And uh, hope you like it. And tweeted us. Uh, we're, I'm, I'm. The film is at Act Measures Doc, and I'm at Jack A. Bryan. Do you have any questions or comments? All right. Well, we really appreciate it. So uh, definitely check out Active Measures. And thank you for writer and director Jack Bryan joining us today. Have a good one. Thank you so much. I had a great time. So that was cool to talk to him. That movie is so good. Oh yeah. I can't like. Uh, it's and it's good and beefy and long too. And so when he was like that, there's a director's cut. I was like, oh my god, how much longer would it be? Than I want to see it. I want to yeah. see it. Yeah, you know what really like blew me away. This isn't really a spoiler because it's in the first like minute. Is the story of like how Putin was born. How yeah. like his mom was in I guess a pile of bodies and like her, the father brought her back to life and then Putin was born the next. Yeah. Holy shit! It was soon after that. Well, yeah. that was in the in the. Uh, 
Cornholio book. What is it? Uh, Russian Roulette. David Corn. Oh, they and, mentioned uh, that in there? Yeah, because we did that yeah, book. Because yeah. Hillary was like, every time I ran into Putin, he made sure to tell me that story about how his oh. dead mom's body was dragged out of a pile Jesus. of bodies. I do not remember some reason, Yeah, it didn't and stick with me until I saw this documentary. And it's almost yeah. like a demigod story of how you came into existence. Yeah. And, and he, that's the way he tells it. And Vladimir means universal ruler. I feel like he has a lot of reasons to be full of himself. <laughs> it's KGB, man. Yeah, totally. Once mm-hmm. KGB, always KGB. Totally. You don't really get out of that organization. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know what he looked like too back in the day? It was a creepy thin man from Charlie's Angels. Ooh, he had that, the that one vibe. That the hair? Yeah, the obsessive hair guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he was still balding. Like he's always been balding. Yeah. If, if Putin like shrieked like creepy thin man whenever he like wanted to, I guess, murder someone, that'd be really in- interesting. He kind of looks like when Seth Green on... <laughs> <laughs> oh the yeah, Powers movies like, gets hair and goes bald. Dude, it kind of looks like that. Everything goes back to a, a '90s comedy. I love this. <laughs> oh, dude, yeah, such the golden age of movies. Yeah, there's something about yeah. Mary, not related to any of this, but just a really <laughs> great movie. Yeah, the, the topless old lady boobs scene from that. Oh my god, can't ever get it out of my head. The dog oh. being on drugs, like the little oh, oh yeah, peachy no, so freaking great. out. Yeah. My mom wouldn't let me watch the scene where she gets jizz in her hair because my mom <laughs> didn't want to explain to me what jizz was. I still didn't know what it was when someone explained. <laughs> I was me. like 11. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel like I should know where I came from. Right. <laughs> well, we didn't have. By that time, I had already had so much jizz in my hair. I knew. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. And this has been At the Movies with Muller She Wrote. <laughs> Join us next week as we review, I don't know. The Muller movie. No, that'd oh, be yeah. too soon. No, that's too on we topic. Should, we should make our own little sketch. Though. That'd be funny. Like a Muller movie trailer. Be really low budget though. <laughs> I can imagine. I think there'll be a real movie, like a real, like a all the legit men for this, and we should totally be advisors on that movie. If you're making one, let us know. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, and also, um, we're looking for, uh, we're looking for an animator. If you're an animator, I'm, totally I'm thinking about pitching a a Mueller she wrote animated show. Uh, Dude, that'd be crazy, right? It, it just dawned on me. Like we're trying to figure out how to make our show into a television show. Yeah, illustrations, voiceovers. Animation. Yeah, I think that's yeah. way cooler. I love animation. So if you draw things and have a lot of spare time, and uh, yeah, a bunch of discretionary income, you don't need a lot of money. Let us know, <laughs> and we'll try to work together and make it happen. Can I can I bring up a comment that one of our listeners gave us? Yes, please. Okay, so we've we've been called out for this before, but our use of language that is not particularly uplifting to uh, uplifting. <laughs> what happens when I fart? Um, uplifting. It's the uh, that we say bitch and cries like little girl and stuff like that sometimes. Oh man, so you're I, right. I just figured we could have a little mini conversation of explaining oh. ourselves, perhaps. I do want to try to work on that <clears throat> because I also had a conversation with somebody about making a rape joke about Papadopoulos going to go into the prison mm-hmm. i used an office space quote uh mm-hmm. and she's like you guys are above that and i'm like are we we're comedians i'm not really above it um and as a survivor i have a lot of rape jokes in my act and uh they've kind of helped me cope right but that again doesn't mean that we aren't better now and we can reflect on it now that we're looking back yeah and we can kind of self audit that stuff yeah so i'm going to be real careful i'm going to go ahead and make the pledge to be really careful not to make those kind of jokes because Mm -hmm. we're not so much a comedy pod as we are a politics pod and Mm -hmm. i don't want to trigger anybody absolutely and sorry about that earlier um elliot broidy story without giving a trigger warning that was messed up yeah yeah but uh i you know i will i'll I'll make a, a concerted effort to not say things like 
cries like a little bitch or cries like a girl or blah, blah, blah. Right. But I think the main reason we do it as comedians is we know that what would upset Trump the most or people like that the most is to be Mm -hmm. called a a girl or that they're doing something like a girl because they are so misogynistic that it would drive them nuts. But again, that doesn't mean that it's right. It also helps make that normal. And I don't want to be part of that either. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd rather, uh, yeah, dial it back too. And then we can tell, like, people usually don't complain. So it won't be, like, everything that could be offensive. It's just certain things that people reach out for. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. Yeah, because we're going to say things that, I guess, make us hypocrites, but people are usually okay with that. Yeah, but let us know about it. (laughs) If if it bothers you enough, yeah. Because I think we can be funny without it. I think so too. I do think that, like, what you said is true. The lines of comedy sort of start blurring things a little bit because artists tend to speak and act in hyperbolic ways so when we say cries like a little girl obviously you know we're not suggesting that all little girls are crying and are and are thus lesser creatures because of it it's it's like the image of a little girl crying mm-hmm. but know? then also to say because that- they're trying to be so masculine and and like it's the op it's yeah it's the it's the stuff that they hate on so like you said calling them on again i'm not defending right. it. if we said cry like could- a little boy they wouldn't think much of it but because society has made a girl reference so negative by saying it, I guess that would mean that we're like yeah, fueling it. Yeah, but we didn't start it. Yeah, we're not casting. But then the where first... do you draw the line? Because right. I make fun exactly. of Trump's tiny penis all the time. Am I going to have a tiny penis society coming after me? Yes, saying, oh, yes, you, you know, will. Now you, we will. You can't demean people for their tiny penises. Yes. Yeah, and I'm like, you know what? I think. I'm gonna still. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I would, I would say, little boy crying. That doesn't make a difference to me, really. The gender thing, although I think same. to society it does, and that's kind of where we get that's in a where little you bit get of the, a, yeah, yeah, which is why I'm willing to make changes if I feel like our listeners are coming from a really good, you know, understandable place. But I guess sometimes they'll they'll be on the ride for some references that mm-hmm. you know are also a little edgy, but. Yeah, I guess it's good that we're listening. You it know? is an interactive podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do listen. I took down the tweet that had the the rape joke in it, and I replaced it with some other kind of joke that wasn't about girls or rape. Right, right. Uh, but I think I just ref- referenced him as a coffee boy or something like that. Yeah, which I mean, could be offense with the coffee boys, right? right? You're gonna offend exactly. It's at just some point. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but that's the point is that people will let us know when we when we go really far in their opinions. Yeah. So yeah. don't be afraid to let us know. Tweet at us uh, at Muller she wrote at Jordan's confused at Tweet Jalisa. Let us know what you think, and we we do make changes. We're gonna have that three dollar level because we were just gonna start at five. Uh, I took down that tweet. I'm I'm responsive to this stuff, and then this listener that you were talking about, Jordan, worried about the fact that we use the cry like a little girl or whatever Uh, yeah i want to bring that to my attention because i will just talk the way i speak until somebody lets me know absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah because we choose our battles there's no reason to be like i'm gonna defend the phrase crying like a little girl it's like no we can we can all be on the same page about that's unnecessary yeah Yeah. i started a draft response back to that person and i was like i'm not gonna sit here and try to defend those things because they're obviously (laughs) so simple they're not even worth defending in the first place right right and they were a good like a a listener of the podcast they were like a a nice you know person it seemed right oh absolutely everybody's always really nice Mm -hmm, and when we get called out on stuff it's like i'm not ever gonna try to say i'm not problematic i'm a comic i'm 100 (laughs) percent problematic a lot of the times i'll be the title of your special <laughs> but it's funny because I'm actually like a yeah whatever very liberal person and everything so it's like I'm well, not gonna, you're, you're I'm not going to argue you're human. it yeah 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 I right it. again pick your battles and also I think they're right so yeah yeah. yeah. Anyway, although bitch gender neutral, I've always used it as a gender neutral thing. I understand its roots in not being gender neutral, though. Hmm. But I feel like society is changing for it to be more of a gen. I don't know. I, I might just want to reclaim the word and own it. Like, yeah, slut. I'm pro yeah. bitch. Yeah. Until like, it's decided, it. I can try to use it less, though. 
Yeah, I guess we're in a transitional period. Um, or not. Yeah, I feel like Bitch has kind of <laughs> lost its gender. I feel like that too. Um, Exclusivity. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it's it's a it's a them they now. Exactly. Yeah. And not a he or yeah. a she. Mm-hmm. Like I'd never say whore. You right. know, because obviously that's tied 100% to women. Absolutely. Just like, yeah, cunt is very female. Yeah. <laughs> Although in, if you're in Britain, that's like very gender neutral, yeah, that's a, isn't it? Yeah, that's actually a normal. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah it's like dude. And like, oh. Cunt is like dude. He's a well, smart I'm glad cunt. to hear that we yeah. even say it, <laughs> like, it what, in a good way sometimes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting word. It's yeah. very different over here. Yeah, yeah. But feckless kind of, no, you can't Oof. go there. <laughs> Those two words together, man. Oh, yeah. dang. Yeah, yeah, poor Samantha B. I, I wish she wouldn't have apologized for that, but I understand that she had to. Yeah, but we love women, and thanks for your comment, and totally, uh, yeah, agree with agree with you and your, your goal in sending that comment to us. Yep. Definitely. We'll work on it and call us out when we miss, miss up. Miss up. Like, miss just right up. then, Aww. I used miss instead of mess. <laughs> and that is very offensive uh, to me. Anyway, thank you guys so much. I've been AG. I've been Jaleesa Johnson. I've been Jordan Coburn. And this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is produced and engineered by AG with editing and logo design by Jaleesa Johnson. Our sound engineering is courtesy of Resonant Recordings. Our digital media director and subscriber managers are Jordan Coburn, Sarah Lee Steiner, and Sarah Hirschberger Valencia. Fact-checking and research by AG with support from Jaleesa Johnson and Jordan Coburn. Our web design and branding are by Joelle Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. Hi, I'm Dan Dunn, host of What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn, the most wildly entertaining adult beverage-themed podcast in the history of the medium. That's right, the boozy best of the best, baby. And we have the cool celebrity promos to prove it. Check this out. Hi, I'm Allison Janney, and you're here with me on What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. And that's my sexy voice. Boom. Boom is right, Academy Award winner Allison Janney. As you can see, celebrities just love this show. How cool is that? Hey, this is Scotty Pippen, and you're listening to The Dan Dunn Show. And wait, hold on. The name of the show is what? All right, sure. Scotty Pippen momentarily forgot the show's name, but there's a first time for everything. Hey, everyone. This is Scoot McNary. I'm here with Dan Dunn on What Are You Drinking? What's it called again? Fine, twice. But famous people really do love this show. Hi, this is Will Forte, and you're, for some reason, listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. What do you mean for some reason, Will Forte? What's going on? Hi, this is Kurt Russell. Listen, I escaped from New York, but I couldn't get the hell out of Dan Dunn's happy hour. Please, send help. Send help? Oh, come on, Kurt Russell. Can somebody out there please help me? I'm Dita Von Teese, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. <laughs> Let me try one more time. Come on. Is that oh, right? Sorry. What we're no, drinking? It's amazing. It's, it's it amazing. Right? It's just... Is it right? Ah, that's better. So be like Dita Von Teese, friends, and listen to what we're drinking with Dan Dunn, available wherever you get your podcasts. M-S-W-Media.